Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Glory to God who has given us salvation in his Son, Jesus Christ. Glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Do not be conformed to this world. We heard in the first lesson today how God was jealous for his people. God longed for his people who had been taken from him, lured away by the enemy, had exchanged the world for the gift which he had given them of his word. And the Lord's heart was jealous for his people. He longed for them. I'm the youngest of seven children, and I've been to a number of weddings uh, for nephews and nieces. And one of the hardest parts of the day is when I see uh, my, one of my brothers have to do that father-daughter dance. I just start weeping, just, I was going to say bawling, but weeping is a little bit more manly. I just start weeping, just shy of bawling. Because I know, having two little girls already, I know that feeling of seeing your little girl go off with someone else. And your heart's almost jealous. You want, you want them back when they were, were little. Christine actually prays every day that they'll turn 18. But, but, but you want them back. You want to be able to hold them again on your lap. And I'm sure many of you here know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. And this is the jealousy that God had for his children, seeing them taken away. What if your daughter's marrying a bum? It's even worse. I see a few of you roll your eyes. Been there, done that. It's even worse. And yet God the Father sees his children being led astray by the enemy and exchanging his love and his word for the world and for death. And so he longs for his children. He can't imagine his home without them. To this very day, my mother, who is 83, will say, if I could go back in time, I'd go back to the day when all the children were at the house. And I think of those words of Jesus when he uses feminine imagery for God and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you. As a mother hen gathers her brood under her wing, but you would not come. You would not come. Oh, how he longs for us. But we're off. In the world. 
But what we must do is we must begin to exchange the world for the word. You've heard me say this before. You cannot be both of the world and be of the word of God. You must choose. You must choose the world or the word of God. The world will bring death and the word of God shall bring life. The world will bring darkness and the word will bring light. But you must choose. You cannot have both. The letter of James to the church says, do you not know that friendship with the world is what with God? Enmity with God. You cannot be a friend of the world and of God. I remember being in high school. I had two, uh, I had a really close friend, Nancy, and I got to become really good friends with her sister too, Amy, and there was just this jealousy. So who are you closer to? Who's a better friend? You know, which one? And I would say, you're both my friend. Now, I have a better chance of Nancy listening to this broadcast, so Nancy was the real choice. And if, Amy, if you're surprising me, we'll speak later. (laughs) But you see, it can't be that way with God. You must choose the word or the world. Life or death, light or darkness, freedom or bondage and slavery. God's will or your own, but you cannot have both. So we must begin to allow the word of God to take root in our heart and to rise within us like the morning star. Someone once said, and I don't know who it was, it may have been a sermon that that you gave, um, Father uh, Bruce, but someone once said, it's amazing how you can go out at night just before the sun rises. And you can see all the brilliance of the universe, all the stars of heaven, all shining, and some shining even more glorious. In fact, one the other day was shining so beautifully in the heavens that as we were driving, Rebecca said, Dad, stop the car. It's the star of Jesus. I said, no, that's just the star that follows me. She said, You're not ordained yet. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) And yet, as brilliant as the stars can be and as beautiful as they can be, and the two places where I've seen them most beautiful, by the way, Labrador, when I was far up north, I'd go out, it was almost easier to count the black spaces in the sky than it was to count the stars. And then when I was in Illinois and I'd drive out, to the cornfields, which took a whole 10 minutes. (laughs) And you just look out, the stars were incredible. But as glorious as they are and as brilliant as they are, and with all the light that they give off, when that one star rises in the east, all the other stars disappear. Disappear. 
and give way to the light of that star which we call the sun. So it is when the word of God fills our hearts, the world begins to disappear as the glory of God rises within us and it affects every aspect of our being. And then we can feel that jealousy of God, that longing of God for us to be with him. And we begin, the, the grip of the world begins to lessen on us, and the draw of the love of God begins to attract us toward him. But we must pray when we read the Bible, O Lord, open my heart, that thy word may take root within me and bear forth fruit and that your word may rise within me like the morning star, like the sun, so that everything else will pale in comparison. This is what St. Paul is talking about in the 12th chapter to the letter, uh, his letter to the church in Rome. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Do not conform, do not be made in the image and likeness of this world or the desires of your flesh or of the enemy, but rather be transformed by the word of God. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you, he said, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So often I've been told um, well, you know, Christianity is kind of arrogant. You know, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to salvation. Well, you guys, where do you get off being so arrogant? And I said, tell me, or I'll say, tell me. What's so arrogant about a God who loves us so that he gives up his glory and majesty and in humility as it says in Philippians chapter 2, though he was God, he did not claim equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. What is so arrogant about the God of heaven and earth humbling himself and becoming a servant coming into his own world among his children, walking through the sewage of our sin in order to lead us home. And what's so arrogant about a religion that says we can never attain to God on our own? You can do good works now until the end of time and you will be no closer to attaining to God than when you first began because God is infinitely beyond his creation. No creature can attain to God, because God is not a superior creature, he is the creator. And so God came to us, humbling himself, taking the form of a servant, in order to save us from the world the flesh, and the devil. What is so arrogant about a people who say, I cannot do it. 
I can't make it on my own. Heck, there's days I can't even stand on my own two feet. In fact, I said that this morning to Christine. I'm not sure I can get up. Get up. She doesn't really sound like that in the morning. But. <laughs> You're welcome, honey. <laughs> what is so arrogant about that? What is arrogant, as Paul says here, is for people to put themselves in the place of God and to choose for themselves what is right and wrong rather than submitting themselves in humility to what God has revealed. To be a Christian, one must first say, I surrender my heart, my body, and my soul to thee, O God, and to thy word. Think of the words of Mary at the Annunciation. Let it be unto me according to thy word. It begins with humility. This is why Paul says one must not think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. For it is when we are humble and when we bow ourselves in obedience to what God has revealed and allow ourselves to be transformed by his word rather than transforming the word to match what we desire, it is when we are obedient to his word that we can become transformed rather than conforming to the world. In the early church, there was something called the catechumenate. It was the name given to someone who was earnestly seeking Christ Jesus and seeking to enter into that covenant with Jesus, with God in Christ. Seeking to be baptized into God and into the promise of God, into the Word of God, and to be nourished in that new life with the sacrament of His body and blood. And they would undergo sometimes a period of preparation. And this comes from Galatians 6, 6. Let him who is taught the Word share all good things with him who teaches. And the word there for the one who is taught or instructed in the word is katechumenos in Greek. Did I say that right, Bob? Thank you, sir. I know you wouldn't. That's why I asked. Katechumenos. That him who is instructed in the word him who is instructed. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus comes, the risen Lord, and says to the apostles, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And it's with that authority, all authority, that he sends them out into the world. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, 
all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That word disciple has the same root as the word discipline, to subject oneself in humility to authority. Go and make disciples. That is, those who come to Christ are persons who are under an authority, the authority of the Lord and his word. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then that same word again in Greek, teaching them, instructing them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That is, one doesn't come to Christ and instruct him on how he will be in their life. They come and in humility, in an obedience, they surrender themselves, they humble themselves, following the example of their master, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself for our sake, they humble themselves before what God has revealed, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. In the Acts of the Apostles 8, 30, 31, just before the eunuch is baptized, Philip the deacon is sent to him, and it says in verse 30, so Philip ran to him, that is the eunuch, who was uh, uh, in the, uh, the queen of Ethiopia's court, the Candace, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked the eunuch, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless one instructs me? Catechesis. Catechesis. I have been doing uh, catechesis uh, for a while now with one of my neighbors. A lot of it has to do with the fact that she's our PR manager, and so when I send her something to post, whether it's on the blog and it's an article that's about 10 pages long, or whether it's something a little bit shorter, she, part of her job is to read it all through. But when I first met her, she was not in Christ, as we would understand that to be, although Christ was certainly working in her heart. And I would say, you can offer me a unique perspective. Read everything carefully, particularly for grammar. But secondly, see if it makes sense to someone who's not in the church. Because what's the sense of my putting stuff out there if people are like, well, that doesn't make sense, or that's not true, or they look it up and say, no, 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 no. He's saying that that source says that, but it doesn't. Look right here. What's the sense of that, right? That would be trying to what? Put myself out there rather than the Lord. And so she would read, and read and read, and then we'd enter into conversations, and we're now reading a, a book together, which I recommend to everyone. Many of you have read it, The Catholic Religion, a Manual of Instruction for Members of the Anglican Communion. Just go home and Google that. Okay. 
For she has decided, decided that the Lord has put on her heart that if she knows who Jesus is, because she's no longer trusting in herself or in the world, but in the Lord and in his word, then she must enter into his life. Jesus makes it clear that we, in the scriptures, in his word, to enter into his life is to be baptized. Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so, in the ancient church, there was an oil of catechumens, that is, when they began the process, and at different times in church history, the process may have been shorter or much longer, and now the oil of catechumens, when used, it's kind of symbolic, it's actually part of the baptismal ritual, they, they receive that oil of catechumens, which is asking God to bless them, to anoint them with the Spirit, so as they make their way towards entering into the, the fullness of the kingdom in baptism. But I asked Connie if she would today, she's being baptized two weeks from today on the 27th, if she would be anointed with that oil today. And she has agreed. And so I'm going to ask us all to stand, and I'm going to invite Connie to come forward, and I'm going to ask uh, Father Bruce uh, to come down and join me, and uh, Deacon Susie as well. Uh, to lay hands, and maybe the prayer ministers, if you'd like to come forward and to lay hands on Connie as we anoint her with the oil of the catechumenate, that she may be delivered from the world and enter into the world, word of God. Be delivered from darkness and come into the light. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. It's in Colossians. That transferred. We are transferred. So this is for preparation for that transference. As I end today with these words, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.